0: Tonight we're going to be looking at Numbers 15 and 16. And I titled this, Laws and Rebellion. We're given additional laws for the children of Israel when they enter into the Promised Land in chapter 15. And we find rebellion going on in all of chapter 16. And so laws and rebellion. Let's ask God to... Bless the teaching of his word tonight, and we want to welcome our WLGS radio listeners and those who perhaps are watching us online via the video, or maybe you're hearing this at another time. We welcome you. And so, Father, we thank you for your word and ask that you would bless us tonight, Lord, teach us from your word, help us to receive those things that you have left for us. You've recorded it. Lord, for the children of Israel initially to prepare them as they entered into the promised land. But Lord, there are truths that we can glean from these chapters as we now part of the Lord's church. We look to your handling of the children of Israel. You're preparing them, taking them from a a band of slaves and forming them into a nation and In tonight's chapters, Lord, we still see the band of slaves and people fighting for position. And yet, Lord, even though we are years removed from when these words were originally penned, we still have in our world, Lord, people who are slaves, slaves to sin, uh, people who are fighting for position, much like we see in our chapters tonight. And those, Lord, who forget to recognize you and the gifts that you have given to them. And So tonight, Lord, we're going to see some of these things regarding our offerings and the gifts that we are to give and our first fruits. And look at the rebellion that took place there in the wilderness many years ago. So bless us this night, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, remembering God's Word, chapter 15 of the book of Numbers, and I try to pick out a couple of key verses as I go through these chapters, uh, sometimes just one verse, sometimes it takes two to get it, and actually it's one sentence, but over two verses, Numbers 15, 39, and 40 says, and you shall have the tassel. That you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them, and that you may not follow the harlot tree to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined, and that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. So we'll get to the tassel and the meaning of that, the tassels of remembrance that all the children of Israel were to wear on their garments toward the end of chapter 15. But we begin with the rebellion. Well, that's chapter 16, the rebellion. We begin with the laws. It's after the rebellion that we learned about all of Numbers six, Numbers 14, which we studied at the end of November. And then Christmas came. And we spent the month um, doing other things. And so it's been a while since we've been back in this book. But here we are again. But Numbers 14 dealt with the children of Israel who refused to enter into the promised land when God first gave them the opportunity there at Kadesh Barnea. They came to the point of entry. They sent 12 spies in. Ten of the spies came back and said, Oh, the land is good. It's everything that God promised, but there's giants in the land. There's fortified cities, and there's no way that we can enter this place. Ultimately, they refused to do what God commanded them to do, And God cursed that generation to die in the wilderness. Everyone from um, 20 years old and below, the children of the first generation, those would enter into the promised land, but they would have to, because of their parents' sin, their unwillingness to enter into the promised land when God first gave them opportunity, they would have to spend 38 to 39 years I mean it would be a total of 40 years but one of the things I pointed out the last time we went through this there was a portion of their wilderness experience that God wanted Israel to be in the wilderness to learn to trust him to form them into a nation to teach them how they should conduct themselves as children of God they were to be there for a while but not for 40 years but now because of their sin they would be there for 40 years in totality. That first generation that came out of Egypt did not have the faith to enter into the promised land. Therefore, their bodies would be scattered throughout the wilderness. But here in chapter 15, God goes immediately from pronouncing judgment, then the children of Israel and saying, hey, we'll go now. And they went up and attempted without the Lord, without the ark, without Moses, and they were defeated. And then he began in chapter 15 to teach the second generation, the children. This is what you are to do when you come into the promised land. And so he began by clarifying the grain and drink offerings that were to be given with animal sacrifices. He also teaches about the heave offering which consisted of offering up the first of their grains to the Lord in each season. And then Moses next teaches what they should do when the whole nation or individual or unintentionally sin. And then even if someone intentionally sins, and then we're given a, a lesson of someone who was caught picking up sticks, gathering wood on the Sabbath day and what happened with him. And we're going to learn about these things, but especially about the blue tassels. We'll come back to that at the very end of chapter 15. We begin, though, in chapter chapter 15, verses 1 through 12. We find offerings by fire. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Speak to the children of Israel. Say to them, When you have come into the land you are to inhabit, which I am giving you, and you make an offering by fire to the Lord, a burnt offering or a sacrifice." To fulfill a vow or as a free will offering or your appointed feast to make sweet aroma to the Lord from the herd or from the flock. Then he who presents his offering to the Lord shall bring a grain offering of one tenth of a fine flour mixed with one fourth of a hen of oil and one fourth of a hen of wine as a drink offering. You shall prepare with the burnt offering or the sacrifice for each lamb. Or for ram, you shall prepare as a grain offering two-tenths of an ephod ephod of fine flour mixed with one-third of a hen of oil, and as a drink offering, one-third of a hen of wine as a sweet aroma to the Lord. When you prepare a young bull as a burnt offering, or as a sacrifice to fulfill a vow, or as a peace offering to the Lord, then you shall offer with the young bull a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephod of fine flour mixed with a half a hen of oil, and you also shall shall bring a drink offering, a half a hen of wine, as an offering made by fire, a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. Thus it shall be done for each bull, for each ram, each lamb, each young goat, according to the number that you prepare. So you shall do with every one according to their number. So in the book of Leviticus we learned About the offerings. We learned about the burnt, the grain, the drink, the peace, the sin, and the trespass offerings there in the book of Leviticus. I had mentioned the drink offering, but never went into explanation in the book of Leviticus about the drink offering. But here we see that when they offered. These animals as a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord, they were also to be offered with a grain offering, a grain that was mixed with some oil and also the same amount of wine as a drink offering to the Lord. These would be offered to the Lord on the altar, depending on the animal that was being used, whether a goat, a lamb, a ram or a bull, then the amounts of grain, the amounts of oil, the amounts of wine would increase depending on really the size of the animal. So every time someone offered a offering of fire, a burnt offering, a sacrifice to fulfill a vow as a freewill offering or on their appointed feast days, they to make those sweet aroma to the Lord from the herd or from the flock, they had to offer the grain and the drink offering they had to accompany them. And if they offered more than one lamb, two lambs, then they would double the grain and the drink offering. The same proportions for each animal were to be given. So Ephod, I went through this, and, and i be honest with you, I was looking at several commentaries, and our commentators, our Bible commentators, um, They're not even sure exactly the size of an ephod. I found some agreements, so I'm going to go with the agreed portions. That seems to be, but others were saying different things. So the amounts an ephod would equal 22 liters are for us. I don't do liters. I didn't. uh, They tried to teach the metric system when I was in school, and I think it was abandoned before I got out of school because hardly anybody uses it. But for us, an FOD would equal 5.8 gallons. So we think of going to the gas, going to get gas for our vehicles, and spending, let's see, we got almost six gallons, six times, well, now it's six times three. You can do the math how much that would cost you. A hen, so FOD was a dry weight. Lily gets on to me when we're baking or cooking, Because to me, one cup is one cup, no matter if it's a liquid measure or a dry measure, it's one cup. But apparently, there's a dry measure and there's a liquid measure. The hen is the liquid measure, and that is 3.7 liters or about a gallon, just a touch over a gallon. And so with a lamb or a goat, you had a tenth of an f out of fine flour, a quarter of a hen of oil. So a quarter of a gallon of oil or a quarter of a gallon of wine to be given with them. The ram increased to two tenths and a third of a gallon, we would say, of oil and wine. The bull, uh, you had three tenths of fine flour of an ephod, that is, and then um, half a hint of oil or half a gallon of of oil and wine to be given with the drink offered. So if the worshiper had more than one animal, they had to offer also the appropriate amount of the grain and drink offerings. They were to be offered with each animal. So this was something that always was supplied. They didn't go into the uh, turtle doves because God allowed even the poor, if they couldn't afford an animal, they could offer grain offerings. If you didn 't have the wealth to do an animal like a lamb or a ram or a bull, God had other means by which people could worship. but the other means aren 't dealt with in this chapter. but realize this is for the young kids this is for our the teenagers, for the Sunday school te- kids that were teaching for the children of Israel. they were teaching the next generation. They were, everyone 20 years old and under, learning what they ought to do because their parents would not be there when they entered into the promised land. It's always good to prepare our children, how they should conduct themselves in their, in this life. And we want to be there for our children, want to be there for our grandchildren. Um, but we may not always be. So the preparation, the time that we have, the time is now to prepare them in the ways of the Lord. So also, it wasn't just for the children of Israel, 13 through 16. There was one law, one custom for all. All who are native born shall do these things in this manner, in presenting an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And if a stranger dwells with you, or whoever is among you, throughout your generations, and would present an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord, just as you do, so shall he do. One ordinance Shall be for you of the assembly and for the stranger who dwells with you one ordinance forever throughout your generations as you are, so shall the stranger be before the Lord. One law, one custom shall be for you, for one for the stranger who dwells with you, for you and the stranger who dwells with you. So, one law, one custom for everyone in the nation of Israel, whether native born or a foreigner living among them. In other words, whether Jew or Gentile there was to be one law one custom for all who wanted to worship God there were not to be a plurality of gods not many gods to be worshipped in Israel like in our nation today but one Yahweh and whenever Israel and we look at the kings in first and second kings first and second chronicles whenever they got into worshipping pagan gods other gods Uh, their hearts quickly turned away from the Lord. It's what brought Solomon down, a man of great wisdom and and great wealth. But his heart was turned away by his many wives, but also by the gods that they worshipped. Yahweh had redeemed them out of Egypt. He redeemed them from a land of many gods that they would worship the one and true God who had redeemed them. One law, one custom for all. And this first helped to fulfill the first commandment, where in Exodus 23, the Lord said, you shall have no other God before me. So one law, one custom, one God. Second, it helped to fulfill the promise of God to Abraham, who at the end of the Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God would tag it by saying, and in you, you might notice it says verse 1, but it's actually verse 3. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis twelve three. All the families of the earth, the Gentiles. So one law. That's what God desired. And of the grain offerings, he continues 17 through 21. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I bring you, then it will be when you eat the bread of the land that you shall offer up a heave offering to the Lord. You shall offer up a cake of the first of the ground of meal as a heave offering. You shall heave the offering of the threshing floor. So you shall offer it up of the first of the ground meal of your ground meal. You shall give to the Lord a heave offering throughout your generation. So God reminds Israel when they come into the land and will read. In uh, the book of Joshua, actually, the book, yeah, the book of Joshua, it tells us that when they entered into the promised land, the manna ceased. Once they were there, God stopped feeding them and they had to eat off the land. Well, while they were in the land, God was saying, it doesn't say the word first fruits technically, but you shall give a first of the ground meal. So it's the first fruits of their produce. While studying in Leviticus, we learned that a wave offering, you would take the wave offering, the animal you're waving, the grain that you're waving, you'd wave, you go side to side. A heave offering was up and down to the Lord. This was a portion that would go to the priest and a portion would be given to God. So there was provision of the Levites found in these offerings, according to Numbers eighteen eleven through 13, that this was an ordinance that God gave to the children of Israel forever and ever for their sons and their daughters, the best of the oil, and the best of the new wine, and of the grain, the first fruits which they offered to the Lord. I have given to them whatever first ripe fruit is in their land they shall bring to the Lord shall be yours speaking to the Levites everyone who is clean in your house may eat of it so numbers 18 we'll get to that possibly next week anyways but just a preview there but it's a good reminder for us the importance of remembering Jesus the provision that he brings to our lives uh, through our tithes and offerings we give to the Lord It's also a good reminder to teach these things to our children. I've mentioned this over the last several years. Um, We don't physically take an offering here at Calvary Chapel Lake Villa anymore. We used to every Sunday, never did during the midweek, but every Sunday we'd take an offering. The guys would pass the bags, and it has just become... So convenient for people. We do it. Lily and I do it. Um, we have it set up with our bank. We don't even write the check. The bank writes the check, sends it to the P.O. box at the church. Some people send it to the mailbox here on the grounds. Others do um, through online giving. And some still we have an agape box here in the church and they give offerings to the Lord through the agape box. But the point i've made a few times is that it's so important for us to teach our children we're not passing the bag so they don't physically see mom and dad giving and offering anymore and so it's something we need to really take the time to let our children know this is what we do this is how we support the lord's work and the ministry and this is how we conduct ourselves and to train up our children this way moses is preparing them the children, the teenagers and the children who would enter into the promised land, preparing them as children, as teens, what they should do as adults when they enter into the promised land. So unintentional and intentional sin covered in verses 22 through 31. We begin with unintentional national sin. 22 through 26 says, If you sin unintentionally and do not observe all the commandments which the Lord has spoken to Moses... All that the Lord has commanded you by the hand of Moses from the day the Lord gave commandment and onward throughout your generations, then it will be, if it is unintentionally committed without the knowledge of the congregation, that the whole congregation shall offer one young bull as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma to the Lord, with its grain offering and its drink offering, according to the ordinance, one kid of the goat as a sin offering, And so the priest shall make atonement for the whole congregation of the children of Israel. It shall be forgiven them, for it was unintentional. And they shall bring their offering, an offering made by fire to the Lord, their sin offering before the Lord, their unintentional sin, for their unintentional sin. It shall be forgiven the whole congregation of the children of Israel, the stranger who dwells among them, because all the people did it unintentionally. So the whole nation fell into sin. We think, how could that happen? Well, I would just say, look around our nation right now, and you see a great example of it. But the example I have was King Josiah, who came in as king as a young boy, and as he grew, he just had a heart for God and a love for God, and there was a point where he wanted to repair the temple and as they were making restoration at the temple they discovered the book of the law and the book of the law was read before king Josiah and king Josiah at that point realized that their nation had fell into unintentional sin and G- Josiah then led his nation in repentance so it wasn't their fault of that generation of G- king Josiah's generation it was something their parents, their grandparents had done. But then when the law revealed the truth of what had taken place, when Josiah heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. He required of the prophets concerning this. And then he stood before the people. I love this, Second Kings 23, 3. Then the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord who followed the Lord To follow the Lord, to keep his commandments, his testimonies, his statutes with all of his heart, with all of his soul. To perform the words of this covenant that were written in the book and all the people took a stand for the covenant. He led his whole nation in repentance to the Lord because he realized that they had sinned against the Lord, but unintentionally. So yes, a whole nation can fall into unintentional sin. Man, we have so many false truths in our nation today where they, they talk about abortion, which is the taking of a baby's life in a mother's womb, and, and talk about it as it's medical care for the mother. It's not. Or uh, with kids today and our youth trans- trying to transition from being a a teenage boy to a teenage girl or a teenage girl to a teenage boy, and they call it gender-affirming care. They make it sound so kind, but it's not. There was a post that I saw a couple of times today of one of the uh, states uh, executing the first transgender woman, is what it said. And I thought, no, there's... Executing a man who believes he's a woman, but still executing a man for whatever crime that that person had done. So there are people who are blinded to the truth, but truth can be revealed through the word of God. Once it's revealed, then confession needs to be made as it was in the days of King Josiah. So if a person sins unintentionally, now it's the individual, not the whole nation. And this is more likely to happen. If a person sins unintentionally, verses 27 through 29, then he shall bring a female goat in its first year as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for the person who sins unintentionally. And when he sins unintentionally before the Lord to make atonement for him, it shall be forgiven him. And you shall have one law for him who sins unintentionally, for him who is native-born among the children of Israel, for the stranger who dwells among them. So likewise, for the individual, whether Jew or Gentile, once they realize their sin, it was unintentional, but they realize the sin, then they offer an offering. Here, a female goat of the first year that their sins might be atoned for. And this uh, fits with Leviticus 427 and 28 when it says any of the common people sins unintentionally by doing something against the commandments of the Lord which ought not to be done and is guilty when the sin has been committed comes to his knowledge. He shall bring an offering of a kid goat, a female without blemish for the sin that he has committed. So an intentional sin, different here, 30 and 31. But the person who does Anything presumptuously, I don't say that one well fast, presumptuously better, whether he is native born or stranger, that one brings reproach on the Lord. He shall be cut off from the people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment that a person shall be completely cut off. His guilt shall be upon him here, whether Jew or Gentile. Intentional sin against the Lord causes that individual to be cut off. For Samuel 2:25 If one man sins against another God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord who will intercede for him? So that is asked as a question. If a man sins against the Lord who's going to intercede for him? Well today intercession is made through the work of Jesus Christ. There upon the cross as Paul cried out in Romans seven twenty four and 25. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The recognition of his sin. Paul said, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, that Jesus is our deliverer. And sadly, our nation has. Nationally sinned against the Lord, uh, this Uh, So many ways, but a couple of examples of removing the Bible from our schools in the 1960s and that of prayer uh, from the government institutions, from public gatherings. I understood that some of these people who removed the Bibles, they did this knowingly. They took a stand against God. Their sin was intentional or their sin is intentional. Others, though who are being raised in a nation without the knowledge of God, their sin would be unintentional, like the children who come up just not knowing God. They haven't heard the word of God. Let's pray that God would bring our nation back to that place of repentance, like in the days of King Josiah. So speaking of an intentional sin, 32 through 36, while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation. And they put him under guard. Man, this was, a, this was a serious offense. It seems so small to us. But they were working on the Sabbath. That's what he was doing. He was forsaking the fourth commandment. So they put him under guard because it had not been explained what should be done to him. And then Moses said... The Lord said to Moses, that is. Verse 35, The man must surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So as the Lord commanded Moses, all the congregation brought him outside the camp, stoned him with stones, and he died. To us, this seems harsh. But the death penalty for gathering sticks on the Sabbath, it was a man breaking the fourth commandment, God saying in Exodus 20, verse 8, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now, in Israel, as I was reading this, I was thinking of us being in Israel on the Sabbath and how they had one elevator that was a Sabbath elevator that ran all day long, um, would stop at every floor, so whatever, 10-story building, You would have to stop at every floor before you get to your floor. Coming down, stop at every floor. Because they couldn't kindle a fire on the Sabbath day. So pushing the button to start the elevator would be kindling fire, making a spark. And so they just let them run. They learned to work around the law. They did so also by purchasing on the Sabbath day. They learned that if they use a credit card and they don't actually pay for it, the credit card on the same day, but on another day, a non-Sabbath day, then they kind of skirt around the law. But here God had already introduced honoring the Sabbath in Exodus 16, 22 through 26, when he talked to them about the law of collecting the daily manna. And the people then even then, disobeyed the command and went out on the seventh day, on the Sabbath day, the day of rest. And God did not punish them in that way, but the manna that they collected uh, rotted, had worms in it and stunk. So they learned their lesson there. That was an easier lesson. Now a man is gathering wood for the fire and it cost him his life. Historically, in the Bible, when God began a new work, he often would have harsher judgments upon those who were lawbreakers, like Ananias and Sapphira, when the Holy Spirit judged them when they lied about the gift that they gave to the Lord, and they died because of that lie, reminding the church and the body of Christ the importance of purity within the body of Christ. Now the tassels. 37 through 41, closing out this chapter. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corner of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread in the tassel of the corners. And you shall have a tassel, and you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined, that you may remember and do all my commandments and be holy for your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. To be your God, I am the Lord your God. So the tassels of blue sewn to the corners of their garments were to be reminders of God's law, that they could look upon them and remember the law of God that they might not sin. When I read that at the beginning of the teaching, I thought of, and I didn't think about this earlier today, but my son has uh Yahweh tattoo here on his forearm. He has his name, I believe, written, he believes too, in Jewish lettering on his other forearm. Um, he believes it is because they could have had the wrong lettering and it could be wrong, but he doesn't know. The Jewish language, and he has um, I forget what they call it, but the symbol of the triunity here on the back of his neck, which you cannot see, but um, the word Zeo tattooed right above his belly, um, which means life in the word, in Greek language it means life Zeo and uh, he one time told me that they were even when he was so messed up. And not walking with the Lord, and those were reminders that he tattooed on his body. And as far as I know, that's the tattoos that he have, And they always had some Christian theme. They were reminders for him. And I don't have any tattoos to remind me of the laws of God. But it's not bad to have those reminders that we would... Like the psalmist said in Psalm 1:19, "Thy word I've hidden my heart, that I might not sin against You." And may we daily be reminded of God's word to keep us from unintentional and intentional sin. I tell you, we get away from the Word of God, and sin comes easy. In fact, did you notice how the Lord worded that here? That you may not follow after harlotry, to which your own heart and your eyes are inclined. This is your nature. And so you have to do something counter to the sin-fallen nature that we have been birthed into. So our mediator, number 16. In chapter 16, the hearts of the people continue to rebel against Yahweh. They also rebel against Moses and Aaron who mediated between God and the children of Israel. So the rebellion of Korah, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now Korah, the son of Ishar, and the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abram, the son of Eliab, and the son of Pilath, and the son of Reuben, sons of Reuben, took men and rose up before Moses and some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. And so these were important people in the eyes of the congregation. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, verse 3, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? So Korah from the tribe of Levi of the division of the Koh. Kothites. They were the ones who were responsible for carrying the holy furnishings of the Lord the Ark of the Covenant, the Table of Showbread, the menorah. That was their duty, their their duty to serve the Lord at the tabernacle, but not priest. This is what they are after, and they want to be priest also. Dathan and Abram, they were of the tribe of Reuben. Reuben was the firstborn of Jacob, but Reuben had defiled himself, lost his birthright and his double portion because he had sexual relations with his father's wife, Bilhah. And so Korah, Dathan, and Abram, along with 250 of Israel's leaders, men of renown, claiming holiness, believing the Lord was among them just as he was with Moses and Aaron. They accused Moses and Aaron of exalting themselves above the people, above the nation. So in some sense, this is what God desired. Deuteronomy 7, 6, Moses hadn't penned these words yet. He would say these words to the second generation who came out of Egypt, those who would enter into the promised land, Deuteronomy 7 6 for you are holy people to the Lord your God and the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself a special treasure above all the peoples of the face of the earth. So in a sense what they were saying was somewhat true but what they were not saying because Moses would bring it about by telling them to bring their censors they wanted to be part of the priesthood like Moses like Aaron, technically Aaron now, the high priest. But Moses had been offering offerings to the Lord as well. Proverbs 16:18 reminds us, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. And these were proud men who came before Moses and Aaron that day. So Moses heard it, verses 4 through 7. He fell on his face. He spoke to Korah, all his company, and said, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses, he will cause him to come near to him. Do this, take censers, Korah, and all your company, put fire in them, put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi." So, Moses, first, he fell on his face. Humility, signifying his need for God. And perhaps prayer, it's not mentioned, but he had an answer from the Lord. He fell on his face, and then he said, This is what the Lord says. So, I believe prayer took place there. And he proposed this test of the censors to which Yahweh would confirm who was holy. Who would be able to stand as a mediator between our holy and righteous God and the people of Israel? And so Moses said to Korah, verses 8 through 11, Hear now, you sons of Levi, as it is a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord to stand before the congregation to serve them and that he has brought you near to himself you and your brother and the sons of Levi with you and you are seeking priesthood also therefore you and all your congregation are gathered together against the Lord and what is Aaron that you should complain against them? So the Kohites, Kohathites, Gershonites, and the Merorites were the sons of Levi who were singled out to serve at the tabernacle of the Lord. In fact, while they were in the wilderness, uh, they camped around the tabernacle. They were the nearest to the tabernacle of Lord all times. Yet they were not priests, and they were not to be anointed as priests nor had they been anointed at all, at all. But they were called and singled out to serve the Lord from all the people of Israel. God claimed them as his own, and yet they desired more. And so, 12 through 15, Moses sent and called to Dathan and Ibram and the sons of Eliab, Eliab and said to them, we will not come up. They said, so Dathan and Ibram, uh, they they didn't come. Maybe they knew that they've already overstepped. But if they did, they were not repenting. They just sent back word. Verse 12, we will not come. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? that you should keep acting like a prince over us? Moreover, you not brought us into the land flowing with milk and honey, nor giving us an inheritance of fields or vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. So Moses was angry, with angry, very angry, and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, nor have I hurt one of them. So perhaps they were fearing Moses and Aaron, what they might do, but it didn't stop them from bringing accusation against Moses, accusing him of bringing them out of a land flowing with milk and honey, Egypt, where they were slaves, and not bringing them into the promised land that was promised flowing with milk and honey. But they failed to mention their rebellion that caused them not to enter into the land. They didn't get into the land because they refused to go. But apparently that was Moses' fault too. So in his anger, Moses asked Yahweh not to respect their offerings. He said, these men who brought such accusations against them, against Moses and Aaron. Paul even said this to the church in Corinth when it was being said of Paul and Silas and others in his ministry, that they were trying to take advantage of the church. In 2 Corinthians 7, two, he said, Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. So leaders often may be condemned for things that have not done. Sometimes leaders are condemned for the things that they've actually done. But this was not the case here. So tomorrow, Moses said to Korah, 16 through 19, Tomorrow you and all your company be present before the Lord. You and they, as well as Aaron, let each take his censer and put an in incense in it. Each of you bring his censer before the Lord. 250 censers, both you and Aaron, each his censer. So he, every man took a censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron and Korah, gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. So Moses responded by saying, tomorrow we're going to have this showdown, the showdown of the censers. They believe that they belong to God when in actuality, God had not received them, would not receive them. The censor test resulted in the deaths of Korah, Dathan, Abram, their families, and 250 of the men that stood with them, as well as the lost of all their earthly possessions. The glory of the Lord appearing at this point reminded Israel that it is truly a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Hebrews ten thirty one. So the day of judgment came, in verses twenty through thirty four. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation that you may that I may consume them in a moment. And then they fell on their faces and said, Oh God, God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation? So initially, God said, I'm going to wipe them all out, not just the ones who sinned. And Moses and Aaron interceded, became intercessors. They could have said, get them, Lord. We'll stand aside. They could have just stepped back, have at it. But they interceded for them. In verse 23, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the congregation, saying, get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. And Moses arose and went to Dathan and Abram and The elders of Israel followed him, and he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs, lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan and Abram, and Dathan and Abram came out, stood at the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, their little children. And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, for I have done I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by a common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, in verse 30, if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens up its mouth, swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit. Then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Now it came to pass, as he finished speaking all these words, the ground split apart under them. The earth opened up its mouth, swallowed them up, their households, all their men with Korah, all their goods. So they and all those who were with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed up over them, and they perished among the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled and cried out, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also." So even this difficult situation of rebellion, Moses and Aaron interceded for the whole nation of Israel to not destroy the people, but only those who had sinned. This was something that Abraham did when the men came and the Lord revealed that Sodom and Gomorrah were going to be destroyed where his nephew Lot lived. And Abraham asked the Lord, in Genesis 18.23, Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now later on in Deuteronomy 24.16, Paul would tell the second generation's fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. But here, the sin costs the whole family's lives. That's something to really ponder. So fire of judgment came out from the Lord. Verse 35 consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. So all the 250 also were consumed as they stood. They've forgotten about Aaron's own two sons, Nahab and Abihu, who offered strange fire to the Lord or unsanctioned fire before the Lord and was killed by the Lord. These men received that same judgment. 36 through 40, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they are holy. Scatter the fire at some distance away. The censers of these men who sinned against their own souls, let them be made into hammer plates as a covering for the altar. Because they presented them before the Lord, therefore they are holy and they shall be assigned to the children of Israel. So Eliezer, the priest, took the bronze censers which were burned up, which those who were burned up had presented, and they hammered them out as a covering for the altar to be a memorial memorial to the children of Israel, that no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord that he might not become like Korah and his companions, just as the Lord had said to him through Moses. So the censers became a covering for the altar of incense, which was in the holy place of the tabernacle made of gold, but now covered with the bronze to remind the children of Israel that only the descendants of Aaron could offer incense on that altar. Hebrews 5.4 says, No man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God just as Aaron was. No man takes the honor. You have to be called by God. So you think, well, that's good lessons to learn. Nope. Because the next day, verse 41 through 50, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. They hadn't learned a thing, saying, You killed the people of the Lord. Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting, and suddenly the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. So, two days earlier, the glory of the Lord appeared. Judgment came out from the Lord the following day, and now the next day, the glory of the Lord appears. And Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting. Verse 44, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, get away from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. Again, they could have stepped back said, Lord, go for it. But instead they fell on their faces. They made intercession. They stood between the holy God and the children of Israel. And so Moses and Aaron said, So Moses said to Aaron, Take a censer and put fire in it from the altar and put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation. Make atonement for them, for wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. And Aaron took it as Moses commanded, ran into the midst of the assembly, and already the plague had begun among the people. And so he put the incense and made atonement for the people, and he stood between the dead and the living, so that the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700, besides those who died in the Korah incident. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, for the plague had stopped. So the very following day, the whole congregation rebelled, and God sent a plague. People were dying, and Moses and Aaron interceded. Aaron stood between death, and life. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 106, 16 through 18. When they envied Moses in the camp and Aaron, the saint of the Lord, the earth opened up and swallowed Dathan, covered the faction of Abram. And the fire was kindled in their company and the flame burned up the wicked. So the psalmist gives us... A little source behind all of this, at least the initial core of rebellion, was that of envy. They envied Moses and Aaron. But Aaron standing between the people and God's judgment is a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ and his role as our mediator there are many people in this world who believe that they are holy, they're accepted by God, that they do good works, but they refuse to come to God in the prescribed manner, which is through faith in Jesus Christ. And if they still remain in that rebellion, it's only through faith that they can come to saving faith, only faith through Jesus that they can be saved. If they remain in their rebellion, they will be like those who died of the plague, Those who went in the pit, those who were burned up before the altar. It's because of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension to the right hand of the Father that he is able to save to the uttermost because he always lives to make intercession. As Hebrews 7 24 and 25 says, But he, because he continues forever, has unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, which he always lives to make intercession for them. First Timothy 2.5, For there is one God, one mediator between man and God, the man, Jesus Christ. Well, I just noticed that I, I don't know. Did I read about the tassels I did? I told you it's been a long day. Think of so many things in this chapter, th- those tassels, keeping reminders of the ways of the Lord ever before us. And it's so much easier in many ways and harder in many ways as well. But we have Bible apps, Bible podcasts, uh, we can hear teaching 24-7 if we want to. We can don't even have to read the word, we can listen to the word today being read for us. Um, but we need to have those daily reminders. And at the beginning of the year, it's a good time to remind us to do such things that would keep us from committing intentional, unintentional sins. Also, the rebellion of Korah and all the men that went with them, what happened to them cost their families. It's a reminder to us that sin affects, you know, I'm not hurting anyone, Often, what people might say, I'm not hurting anyone, well, yeah, you are you're hurting yourself and you're hurting those who love you, and maybe even hurting those you don't even know. Sin always impacts others around you, and the importance of walking with the Lord, and the way we do that is having that mediator through faith in Jesus Christ, that there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your word you've given us tonight. Quite a teaching here in Numbers 16 and 17, or 15 and 16. We'll get to 17 next week. I pray, Father, that you would just help us to take to heart some of these lessons. Lord, we don't have censers to stand and burn incense, but we can have pride, envy, jealousy, that can cause us to go through the same motions that caused the rebellion of Korah. Or we can get angry and rebel against the Lord's church that caused the plague to break out upon the nation of Israel. Lord, let us instead, if even in a figurative sense, have those tassels of blue reminders of your word of your commandments that we might know how we ought to walk and to please you and thank you lord jesus that you are our mediator and through your work on the cross you've made the way of salvation available to all who call upon the name of the lord jesus christ they will be saved according to your word this we believe in the name of jesus amen let's go ahead and stand Those who have questions regarding faith, if you're listening online, um, you can go to our church's webpage at cclv.org forward slash email, maybe. I don't know. It's been a while. I can't remember the email address. Go to our webpage, and there's a contact tab that you can get a hold of us. You can also email us at cclv at comcast.net. I do remember that one, cclv at comcast.net. Men's Breakfast this Saturday, 8 to 10 Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.